And we're going to dive in, us old folks, into the message today. We're going to be hanging out in 1 John. We are in a series called Vocational Training. And vocation is one of those words that kind of gets a well, bad rap is not the right uh, word. I'm a huge fan of those who are in the vocational trades. Uh, plumbers keep my house literally working, um, and it is a way that God uses to provide, right? But typically when we think about vocation, we think about those trades, right? Electricians, plumbers, contractors, good jobs, right? Fantastic things. But when you look at vocation where it comes from in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it actually meant a holy calling. And Luther, 500 years ago, when he was reading scripture, at that time, the vocation was being a priest. Vocation meant that you were in church work in some form or fashion. And that was, the holy call, that was the most holy calling you could have. If there was a pyramid, priests were at the very top. And Luther wanted to please God. He really wanted to please God. And so he thought, okay, I am going to get to the top of the holy calling pyramid as a way to please God. He got all the way to the top. And there was still a disconnect. Because what he found was you can't work your way to heaven. It doesn't matter how tall you build that ladder, how big of a tower of Babel you construct, we don't work our way to God. And so he rediscovered grace in the New Testament in this God who just loved him regardless of what he did. And in that grace, in that divine favor, this really beautiful concept of vocation and reclaiming what that meant that it wasn't a pyramid. It wasn't priests at the top, but instead, as AJ talked about last week, all of us are created by God to do good. All of us have a holy calling, regardless of which profession it is, whether you're an electrician or a teacher or a nurse. Wherever you are at, God has a holy calling in your life. And so we've been spending this sermon series talking about, okay, how do we live that out? What does that look like? What's the day in, day out? Because they're all unique, right? If your calling is as a parent or as a brother or a sister or working, like every day all of us are going to be made, making thousands of decisions that impact others. And as a pastor, my job, in fact, even scripture, does not give you a rule book, an operations manual of in every single situation, here is what you do. If this uh, presents itself, do A. If this presents itself, do B. Right? That's not how it works. Instead, what we see in Scripture is it's much more descriptive than prescriptive. Prescriptive means this is what you do in any given situation. I am prescribing you a very specific course of action. What Scripture does, however, it's much more descriptive. This is the posture we're supposed to have. This is how we get in sync with who our God is and what our God is doing. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be talking about love. And 1 John was written by the Apostle John, who is known as the Apostle of Love. When you read through the Gospel of John, when you read through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, it just drips with love, but not, as we're going to see in a little bit, not the Hallmark card kind, but something very, very different. So, okay, we're going to dive in. John chapter 4, verses 7 and following. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. 
Whoever loves is a child of God and knows God, but whoever does not love does not know God. This is, this is some heavy stuff. John directly ties our love for others to our love and our knowing of God. Right? He says, if you love others, your love for God is real. If you don't love others, you don't know God. That's heavy stuff. In some ways, that can be scary stuff, right? Because all of us, in any given time, have a lack of love, right? As I joke around a lot, when someone cuts me off, love is not the emotion that bubbles up in my heart, right? I was talking to Grace Huey a few weeks ago. She's like, Josh, do we need like an intervention with you in drive? And probably, but regardless... Love is not what my initial thought is in those moments. Right? Does that mean I, I don't have a relationship with God? No, that's not what it means. At the same time, though, if there is a lack of God, there is an incompleteness, or a lack of love for my neighbor, there is an incompleteness in my relationship with God, and John is going to unpack that as we go forward. So then we get into verse 9. For God is love. You, you see this verse a lot on plaques, Christian bookstores, maybe calligraphy. God is love. And, and you can go too far down this road of saying that all God is is love. And, and that's not true. God is the source of all life, all goodness. So things like justice, and peace, all these different aspects encompass who God is. But when you look at Scripture, what you find is that love is the driving force behind the different aspects of who our God is. And so when we talk about justice, when we talk about biblical outcomes and a God who wants to see justice in the earth, it's through the lens of love. It's through the lens that this is what's driving him to seek justice. Not to be retributive, not, not to drop a hammer on us or on the world, but because he loves the world, he wants to see good from it. All right? goes on. God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we may have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I love this section of scripture. Because what it points to is not a mushy, gushy, emotional love. I mean, it's part of it, but that, that's not the heartbeat of the type of love John is getting at. He says, look at the life of Jesus. John wrote in the Gospels, for God so loved the world, not, not that he wrote us a nice card, for God so loved the world that he had good, warm, fushy, uh, gushy feelings about us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The type of love that John is describing, the type of love that John is anticipating for us as his church 
to live out, it's active. It's sacrificial. It's moving. If you're a parent, you understand what that type of love is. Yes, you care about your children. Yes, you want what's best for your children. But you act on that love. You act in that moment. That's what John is getting at. That's what he's saying. As we have a holy calling, we are called to act sacrificially and active and seek the good of those around us, just like Jesus sought our good, fought for us, died for us, lives for us now. He ties those two things together. He goes on, dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. But if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. Giving and receiving love is how we act out our love and our connection to God. Hear that again. Giving and receiving. When we are in the flow of love, when we are acting towards love towards one another and receiving it, it is one of the forms that we can actually connect to God. You know, so often when we talk about our faith, we can look at it purely as this one-on-one, one-way relationship or two-way relationship going up and down. And that, that's part of it. Prayer, scripture. And yet what we see through the Gospel of John, what we see in the epistles of John, is this direct connection where when we love one another, we experience God. We experience the fullness of what our God has for us, who he is, what he's doing, and how he's providing for us. But that's a two-way street because you can fall on either side of the, fall off either side of the horse on this. You can only love, you can only be the giver, right? And some of us can do that sometimes where we just keep pouring ourselves out more and more and more and more. And we almost feel guilty if we're receiving love. And then eventually we're empty. The flip side, you can fall off the other side of the wagon and make it all about you and all about, no, no, it's what I get. It's about how people treat me. Both sides are essential to having real relationships. Both sides are essential to us as Christians living for our God and living with each other. And so finding that balance and realizing that sometimes God is asking you to act sacrificially in this moment And sometimes God is blessing you when someone is acting sacrificially on your behalf. It's a both and. He continues on. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. I love references to the spirit in scripture, mostly because none of us understand the Holy Spirit, myself included. Like all the other aspects of the triune God, God the Father, all of us have fathers, good fathers, bad fathers. We at least have something to hold to in that. 
And when we look through Scripture, we can see what a good father looks like, someone who acts sacrificially for his children, who loves his children, who's seeking the benefit of his children. All right, God the Father, that makes sense. Jesus, the Son, the Savior, the Hero. We've got all kinds of heroes in society. We have local heroes in teacher. We have, we have fabled heroes in superheroes. Right? We understand what a hero is. But then we get to the Holy Spirit, and it's like, oh, and there's that thing. Right? What is the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? And for me, again, this is something that it took me a long time to not fully wrap my head around, but to, to start to get an understanding. The Holy Spirit is the narrator of God's story. He's the one who speaks God's story into our life. God the Father is the author, Jesus is the main protagonist, and the narrator tells the story. The Holy Spirit is telling God's story in your life. And the cool thing about the narrator, if the narrator tells you the sky is blue, guess what color the sky is? Blue. If the narrator tells you that God loves you, guess what truth is? God loves you. And so the Spirit is our guide our Jiminy Cricket, so to speak. And it provides us prompts and helps us discern how do we actively and sacrificially love our neighbor as ourself, our, our brothers, our sisters, in challenging situations where there is no perfect solution because we live in a broken world. The Spirit guides us through that. And the cool thing about that means you don't have to come to me as pastor and say, well, how, how do I love better? You don't need a prescription from me. Instead, you have a relationship with this Holy Spirit. And as we spend time with him through prayer, through scripture, through Christian fellowship, we get in tune and we get better at hearing those prompts, those opportunities to act sacrificially and, and to see God move in those moments. John 4 continues, 1 John 4 continues, Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world and who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have life in them and they live in God, this is good news, church. Let me tell you why this is gospel, because love does not start with you. God does not say, all right, guys, here's your plan. Now go do it. But that's not the start of the story. The start of the story is with Jesus. He says, we know how much our Father loves us because who Jesus is. And so Jesus becomes the heartbeat of our faith. That no matter what you do, no matter what you're wrestling with, those times when you get angry, those times when you're acting out of sync with who God is and what he's calling you to do, what Je uh, the Apostle John is telling you, what he is telling me is the good news is that Jesus is the heartbeat. Jesus is the foundation. Not your own works, not your best attempts to listen to the Spirit or to love, but no, we have this foundation in Jesus that allows us to live and act differently. This is good news, church, because we are all still broken. Myself at the very front of the line, chief of sinners though I be. But the good news is because of Jesus, we don't have to stay there. 
We have a foundation that we can build off of and be different, act different. Let me see what that looks like in the next verse. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. Again, he repeats that. And all who live in love love God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows and is made more perfect. As I was praying through this scripture, as I was trying to figure out, okay, what does this look like? How do we talk about love? If we're trying to be more descriptive, not prescriptive. If we're talking about love as this life force that comes from God, what does that look like for us? Well, have you guys ever heard of the first law of physics? An object in motion tends to stay in motion. Well, there is a first law of love, and it goes like this. A human loved by God will love until a force outside of love gets in the way. You see, because Jesus, because God is the one who loves us first, that's the source of it. That's, that's where the force comes from. That's where the power comes from, from him. And when we are loved by him, our natural response is to go out and love. Our natural response is to actively and sacrificially be in this world and see opportunities, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our neighborhoods, whether we're at work, to live out a holy calling, a vocation. And so in that, if we're loved, we will love unless, unless something gets in the way. That something is called sin. And we're all still wrestling with that. And John actually walks through two types of sin that specifically get in the way of God's love directing us to follow him. Again, 1 John continued, So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we will face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Going back to our Newton analogy, fear is like a gravitational force that pulls you out of sync with God. And y'all, the world is trying to get you to be afraid right now. The world is trying to make me afraid right now. And not fear in the sense of, oh, a house is burning down, we should get out, right? Fear is a natural response to an outside force, right? And there is a healthy way to have fear. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, God talks about fear, Fear the Lord, but not be terrified of him. Have healthy respect for what's happening. And we should, as Christians, have a healthy respect and understanding of what's happening in our world. But fear is different than terror. And right now, the world is trying to get you to be terrified of everything. Terrified of a disease. Terrified of what's happening to a country or a community. 
Because it sells. Because it gets us to engage. But what we see in Scripture is that whenever we let fear and terror permeate us, it pulls us out of love. It pulls us out of the reality that we have a God who is actually in control. Who is that perfect love? Who is that perfect self-sacrificing God? Who, because of who he is, we don't have to trust in the things or be afraid of the things in this world. We, we can stay in sync with who he is and, and what he's doing. But there's, there's something else that gets in the way. John continues, he says, If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we love God whom we can't see. If fear is a gravitational force that pulls us out, hate is a direct collision. Hate slams into what God is doing. And in hate, we, we can't love. It doesn't just pull us away. Our trajectory completely changes. See, fear and hate, terror and hate, are so antithesis to everything our God is doing. Everything our God showed himself to be in Christ. And yet, when we allow ourselves for that anger, for that hate to, to bubble up, it, it pulls us out. We, we can't see clearly. We can't hear clearly. We can't stay in sync with that love that God has poured into us through Christ. And it's so easy to sink into that. Because we get hurt. Right? Real bad things happen. And to pretend that they didn't happen doesn't help. To pretend that, no, this person really didn't hurt me. No, 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 God doesn't play pretend. We are called to be real and to be honest and to admit, yeah, this thing happened and it was bad. But Christ offers a different opportunity. He says, you don't have to carry that. You can be real, you can be hurt, you can communicate, but you don't have to carry the hate that the rest of the world is going to keep putting onto your load because that hate is not going to help you. It's not going to make you feel better. It's not going to make you feel more justified. It will just eat at your soul. It will eat at every opportunity we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. It, it, it takes away our ability to hear the Spirit narrating God's story in our life. And God has a story that he wants to narrate in your life. A story that just like Jesus, where everywhere he went, things got better, Jesus wants you to have that same impact. When you're at work, when you're sending direct messages to coworkers, he wants you to have that impact. When you're walking around your neighborhood and you see a neighbor... He wants you to bring out the best in them or to comfort them in times of distress. 
He wants to narrate a story of love in your life that is active and sacrificial and that produces fruit. Jesus says fruit that will last in John 15. The good news is that because love doesn't start with us, that even when those gravitational forces, even when those objects try to jut us off track, we have a God who continually forgives us and draws us back into that life force, that trajectory of his love. First John 4 ends with this. He says, and he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. Jesus put it this way. He told his disciples, the world will know you are my followers if you love one another. See that gospel of love, that that different posture that we have in the rest of the world, not feeding ourselves on the fears and the terrors of the world, not getting caught up in the hate of the world. Instead, loving becomes the witness becomes the platform for who our God is. You know, sometimes when we talk about what it looks like to witness, we immediately go to Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I got to get to that statement. But one of the things you learn is that people do not care what you know until they know you care. So how do we help them know we care? By, by loving them. Had a frustrating situation with one of my neighbors this week that had a lot of what we just talked about, some fear, some anger, uh, but spent about a half an hour talking to her and some of my other neighbors, and we were laughing, and we were talking, and eventually it came to the point where I said, oh, I'm a, I'm a pastor. We're having church on my lawn. My neighbor, who the start of this uh, interaction did not start on a positive note, but, but we kept talking, and we were hanging out a little bit, ended on saying, could I come to church next Sunday at your house? P- people don't know, don't care what you know until they know you care. Love is how we let them know that we care. Sacrificial, active, even when things get t- trying, even when there's difficulty, even when there's tension, even when there's fear, even when there's anger, to still love in that moment, to still stay connected to that first law because God first loved us, I'm going to love you, does something different. Provides us an opportunity for something different, a holy calling that allows us to live and act differently. We're going to go into a time of confession and absolution because, again, all of us are still broken. All of us are still fighting uh, with that chief of sinners, fear, anger, terror, whatever it is. But then you're going to hear how much God loves you. And then we're going to sing about that love in a time of worship as our kids come back in. But I invite you now to uh, pray and confess with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, our world is angry. Our world is afraid. Lord, there's some, there's some real stuff that's happening. Lord, and we don't want to dismiss that. And yet, Lord, we know that we are called... To, for a posture to engage with that differently, to reflect you in those situations, Lord, to still be about love, active and self-sacrificing, even when there are challenges. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we confess that we are still broken. We come before you now admitting that, that there's still some brokenness that we're wrestling with. But Lord, we are bold to admit our sins, 
we are bold to confess because you came to take away the sins of the world in, first, in John 3.16. Lord God, we receive absolution, we receive your forgiveness, we receive your love, and because you love us, we go back out committed to love as you have loved us. Amen. We worship.